Hello, and welcome to Embodying Change, a podcast about cultivating care and compassion in aid and development. I'm Melissa Batati, and this podcast is part of an initiative I'm working on with the CHS Alliance. Our work looks at the intersections between mental health, people management, and organizational culture using the lens of care and compassion. Today, in our first episode of season two, you'll hear me talk with Julia Sanchez, Secretary General of ActionAid International. I've been really inspired by ActionAid's 10 principles of feminist leadership, which includes self-awareness, self-care, caring for others, power sharing, and others. I was curious to hear from her leadership perspective, what it's like to apply these principles inside an organization. I spoke with her at the end of 2020 for a joint ICFA CHS Alliance project, interviewing and bringing together 15 CEOs and leaders from among our shared memberships to reflect on issues of risk, staff well-being, and organizational culture. The report produced in this project, which is called Leading Well, has just been published, and you can find it in the show notes. We plan to weave the ideas coming out of these conversations into a global gathering that will take place virtually on May 20 and 21 this year. But without further ado, I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. So I would like to welcome Julia Sanchez. Hi. (laughs) Thank you, Melissa. Delighted to be uh, here and have this opportunity to talk to you about this important issue. Thank you so much. To introduce you to our listeners, I have looked at the ActionAid website, where they announced your appointment as Secretary General. I believe they announced it in January of 2020 uh, to come into effect in March. And this is what they had to say. You have been promoting equity and sustainable development for over 25 years with a commitment to feminist principles and a human rights-based approach. Prior to ActionAid, You are the president CEO of the Canadian Council for International Cooperation until 2018 and chair of Civicus, the Global Alliance of Civil Society Organizations and Activists. And you have several other things that you have done before that. Um, Would you like to add anything about your background? (laughs) Thank you, Melissa. Um, I guess one thing I would add um, is that I did um, a stint which at the time seemed like a deviation from my path on um, development and humanitarian issues. I think it wasn't and I think now we understand it as more integral but at the time um, I I, um, took a pause and decided to try something totally different and I worked with a climate change campaign, a global campaign. I was part of a secretariat of a global campaign. This was in uh, 2009, 2010. We were um, working up to the Copenhagen um, uh, COP, which where we hoped we would get the agreement that we only got uh, 15 years later at in Paris. Um, and it was a very interesting um, moment for civil society advocating for, for a climate agreement that would address uh, you know, the threats that we already saw then and that are bigger now. Um, So at the time it seemed like a real sidestep, um, but I think now thankfully we're seeing humanitarian development, climate work, peace work as much more interrelated, you know, less less lines drawn between these fields and how important it is to understand 
that they're part of a bigger picture, right? So anyway, that was just a, a little addition I'd make. Mm. So you definitely were ahead of the times. I thought it was different though. So in that way, I was like where everybody else was. <laughs> and I realized, oh, it isn't. <laughs> These things are related. Yeah. Well, I'm so pleased to talk with you today uh, about the issues we're seeing when it comes to aid worker well-being and its intersection with organizational culture, looking at issues of risk, looking at the leadership role there. So I wanted to see if we could just walk through a series of questions and land on uh, some exciting work that Action Aid is doing internally to embody the values that it's promoting worldwide. Um, to start, uh, one of the things that we've seen in our sector for years has been that people have been working very long hours and in risky and stressful conditions. And now that is even more intense uh, with, with the uh, situation with COVID, with constant reminders about injustice in the world, um, with our reliance on technology even more than before, it can be even more stressful than it was in the past. So I'm interested to know from your perspective as a leader of your organization, what are some of the risks that you're most concerned about when it comes to thinking of your people and their well-being? Thank you. Um, yeah, such an interesting, uh, so many, so many thoughts um, around this. Um, so to, to answer your direct question, though, at the end there, the risks. So despite, so I love uh, the 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 commitment and the embrace that I've observed. I've, so I've been in ActionAid, as you mentioned, since March mm -hmm. uh, this year, 2020. And the feminist leadership principles, as far as I can tell, uh, are really, they're for real. Like people talk about them all the time, which is great. So in international, uh, in, in internal conversations, um, you know, when we're talking about our new plans for next year, for the next three years, or we're talking about, you know, uh, reimagining kind of restructuring process that we're planning, anything that we're talking about, this will come up, somebody will bring it up. And, you know, everybody will nod. And, you know, at the governance level, we had a, a AGM, um, which we split in two parts this year, because it was virtual. So June and October, and you know, our governance, uh, our delegates from the different members across the Federation, like this is a real live topic of conversation. So it's obviously done what it wanted to do, which is it's provided a frame for people to think about uh, all kinds of different aspects of the organization. And in particular, understandably, perhaps because I'm the Secretary General, so one of my important roles is to, to um, to oversee the global secretariat for the federation the issue of self-care comes up a lot which is i think the relevant the most relevant of the the principles um for our conversation today so it does come up and people are mindful like they're aware that this is there that it's a commitment that we've made to each other because the interesting thing about the feminist principle that one all of them but that one it's in first person right it says i will take care of myself so it's not pointing at the organization right away, mm -hmm. saying, I have a duty mm -hmm. to take care of my emotional and physical well-being, right? And, and then, of course, the organization in promoting these um, 
these principles has, has a role to play, but, but it is something we own as individuals and as members of this group. So it's very interesting. So it comes up a lot, mm -hmm. but also maybe less directly other principles that have to do with how we treat each other, right? How we work, not only in the self-care aspect, but, you know, the inclusion, the sharing power, um, transparency. So these are things that create an environment and a culture, which hopefully would, would, would lift some of those stresses that exist in very intense, you know, high energy workplaces that where we feel like we're always battling the big battles, you know, of, of our world. So there's, there's the stress about what the work that we do, but at least if we're doing it guided by some of these principles, hopefully it, it, it's in a less stressful environment or a less stressful way. Now, this is work in progress. So the good thing, the good news is that as new Secretary General, I can confirm to you that these are for real, that I hear people referring to them, that they're top of mind, uh, you know, that people have embraced them and, and own them, which is great. So it's not just some policy that's, you know, shelved somewhere or, you know, on people's boards, but they don't really think about it all the time. People do. And that's great. Um, but it is work in progress as, you know, it would have to be. I mean, we could never check them all off and say, we're good, you know, hundred <laughs> uh, percent, no worries anymore. It's, it's a constant, um, it's constant work. Um, I'll take another example and then I'll come to self-care. But uh, one example, for example, one of the principles is sharing power, right? It's yes. around sharing power. Mm -hmm. And so what I often hear at ActionAid is that ActionAid has been successful in in nailing the issue, in pointing to the issue and, and, and exposing the fact that in a federation like ActionAid, mm -hmm. there are power imbalances mm -hmm. that are kind of built in by definition, given the nature of the members, where they come from, who they are, et cetera, et cetera. So naming the problem, pointing at it first, super important. You know, if you don't get there, then you're nowhere. So that's great. But then the difficulty of actually doing something about it. So, and now what? Okay, so we acknowledge that there are these power differences between the funding affiliates and the implementing affiliates, between the Northern-based affiliates and the Southern-based affiliates, between the naturally English-speaking affiliates and those whose English is a second or third language. So you can find all these different elements that create these imbalances, but then what do you do about them and how do we address them, right? That's where things become a little more difficult and we, you know, it's work in progress. Um, so on the self-care um, principle, which again is, is, is directly relevant to our conversation today, there's that awareness, is that recognition, there's that, I guess, sense of, of the fact that it, the responsibility starts with me, like mm -hmm. I need it, you know, with every individual. Um, but there is still, um, you know, a culture of uh, what I've been able to observe of, um, of just, excessive demands and people always having too much on their plates, being stretched thin, working too many hours, you know, that sense of that there's just that we can't stop because there's just so much that we need to do. Now, mind you, I have come in with COVID. I started this job when COVID really, you know, it, when it blew up mm -hmm. uh, in March. So I haven't known ActionAid other than dealing with the most unprecedented massive humanitarian emergency it's ever had to deal with in its history so maybe if we weren't in COVID times I would be observing a different engagement with that principle and others the self-care principle but the truth is 
that we are on high, you know, we're on red alert, literally, yes. you know, and so the whole organization is, is really, you know, has had to step up. Um, and as many other, all our other organizations, I'm sure, um, you know, I've, I've described it as, you know, we've had to respond to the biggest humanitarian crisis of our history. And we've had to do that with our hands tied behind our backs because we're all working from home. We're all working remotely. You know, we're, I mean, the, this was the time where we wouldn't have wanted to have all these restrictions when we had the biggest job to do. And um, importantly, you know, one of those um, many hampering conditions is that our funding affiliates were the ones that were hit first yeah. and they were hit the hardest, right? So almost like all the conditions that you would want to have to respond to your biggest humanitarian crisis in your history were not there because of the nature of this crisis, right? right? The global all-encompassing, everybody affected nature of this, of this. So the fact that we actually managed to respond in 40 of the 47 countries that we work in, that we have plans, that we did fundraising, that we implemented, mm -hmm. you know, um, response, uh, supported response uh, initiatives is a miracle. Like, I'm like, wow, how, you know, we've done that with our hands tied behind our hands. So imagine what this organization can do in normal times when, you know, it's a crisis in, XYZ countries, but all the other countries can mobilize and, you know, provide support and etc. So it's been a difficult time to get to know the organization for me as a leader. But I suspect that this culture of always being in crisis response mode is was already there. Mm -hmm. It's just been heightened, like COVID has heightened so many other things it's heightened this, right? It's taken it to another level. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard to imagine when that will stop. Like when will we be able to say, okay, COVID <laughs> is over and we can go back to our, you know, uh, non-crisis lives. I mean, this has changed everything, yeah. right? And so when will we be, and, and also the, 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 um, the similarities between the COVID crisis and the climate crisis, mm. which is, you know, the, the big existential crisis of our times, mm -hmm. I think dealing with COVID has taught us so many things about how we do and do not deal with climate change. And so if ever we can turn our backs on COVID and say, done, you know, vaccine, you know, several vaccines have been invented. The world's population has been freely vaccined. We're all good. Then we'll have to shift our attention again fully to the climate crisis and what we've learned from this crisis and how we, you know, how we continue managing that one. So I'm not sure we'll be de-escalating anytime soon. And that does worry me, right? So how do, you know, the questions you're asking about, mm -hmm. how do we, how do we, how do we address this? And how does a, a commitment to a self-care mm -hmm. and caring for others principle mm -hmm. um, help us in doing that better is, is a good question because we're going to need that. Yeah, it must have been so challenging for you to start in your role right as the lockdown started. Uh, Very challenging. <laughs> uh, right now in the, this initiative we're doing with the CHS Alliance and ICFA, where we're talking to different CEOs, different leaders, they're talking a lot about the importance they place on developing relationships, relationships at least with the uh, circle of uh, senior managers, and then to see how they can engage staff more broadly, knowing that, uh, especially in larger organizations, it's impossible. But um, part of this idea of 
self-care and caring for others is this idea that we're paying attention and we're aware of what's happening to ourselves and what's happening to others. And I think that must have been so difficult for you to start and march when lockdowns were happening and when normally you'd want to be traveling places, meeting people face-to-face. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, how, how, how is that for you? It's intellectually strange. Like I know in my head, this is so strange. But for some reason still, I don't know if this will change. I, I've started wondering if it won't change with time, but I'm still feeling like this works. in in an odd way, like I know it's odd, like how is it possible that I took, you know, leadership of this massive organization and I haven't been able to go anywhere and I've just met everybody on Zoom and Teams and, you know, how how does that even work? But it's working, right? It's working. I mean, it's it's not not working. Um, I can't compare it to what, how it could have worked otherwise. I can imagine it would have been radically different. Um, You know, my plans were radically different. I um, tend to be uh, the person who's looking for the silver lining. And I see a lot of silver lining um, around this situation. I mean, one, everybody's working from home, right? It would have been very odd if I was the only one that couldn't travel, right? And that everybody else had continued their, their normal lives, normal work lives. So I think the fact that we're all under lockdown makes it okay that I'm also under lockdown, even though I'm the new you know, Secretary General, and I haven't had a chance to travel and meet everybody. Um, the other thing is um, the, the the fact that I haven't traveled. So I had all these plans, of course, um, and I was going to do like a little mini world tour between March and end of June. I think I was going to visit about 10 countries. And so what I figure is I would have gotten to know those 10 countries really well, but not the other 37 where we have action aids. Mm-hmm. And so the, what I've done instead is that I've gotten to know those, all of the ActionAid country offices at the same level. So of mm. course, much shallower in a sense, of, you know, there's only so much you can learn by mostly one-on-ones with the country directors, but I've actually talked to every single country director pretty much the same amount of time. I mean, there's been some exceptions where there's, you know, a particular crisis or circumstance that I've had to invest more time with some countries, but generally speaking, you know, I've gone across, I had my checklist and I went down the list and, you know, spoke to every one of them. And so my, my understanding of the organization is probably more holistic, mm-hmm. if, if less deep, than it would have been had I been traveling to only, you know, a limited number of countries. So I, I, I look at that side and say, okay, well, maybe this isn't a bad thing, you know, in, in the world that we're living in now, in this virtual space, etc., that I had the chat that I was pushed to do it differently. And that I actually, you know, was able, when the medium became virtual, then there were no barriers for me to spend equal time with, with everybody. Right. So, so that's one of the upsides again, Mm -hmm. I I guess. Um, The other, which I was mentioning earlier to you before we started um, uh, recording was uh, around my, my, the time zones. So Mm -hmm. I'm stuck in Canada. I'm not supposed to be here. I I should have left uh, several months ago. Uh, to relocate to South Africa for this job. So the fact that I've been stuck here at first, I felt very sorry for myself because I had to get up so early uh, every day to to maximize the overlap time between uh, my colleagues who are mostly in Africa and Europe and Asia. Um, And then when my body got used to that, I started realizing how lucky I was that I actually have my afternoons, which are relatively 
you know, uh, call free, Zoom free, and I can focus on reading up on stuff, on, um, you know, uh, doing emails and preparing what my colleagues will see in their next morning. You know, so, so my, instead of being behind them, I feel like I'm ahead of them uh, because I'm preparing stuff that they're going to read. So it's actually, you know, we found the balance. And, and just the other day, one of my colleagues said to me, this is actually working really well. We like having you there, you know, in, in <laughs> So it's interesting. So there, you know, there is a, a downside. What seemed like a downside turned into actually a, an upside. And I also, you know, coming back to this, this self-care piece, what I'm hearing and is very worrying is that COVID has, everybody's meeting about everything. Mm -hmm. Maybe we're meeting more. I gather we're meeting more than we would normally meet mm -hmm. because meetings seem easier because yeah. you can get on Zoom and meet with people. And so people seem to be spending more than nine hours a day on calls. And then they don't have time during their normal quote unquote working hours to do the other work that needs to be done. And then they're either behind and stressed or working, you know, in the evenings to catch up with the non-call work. So that's not good. I've been lucky that I don't have that because there's nobody to talk to past one o'clock in the afternoon, pretty much. And so I, I do have some colleagues in the Americas, but they're, you know, really the minority. So I won't talk to them every day. So my afternoons are actually free and I can do that other work. And I, I, I can't by default have, you know, nine hours of nonstop calls. I can have four or five, but it kind of drops off naturally. So that's been an advantage, but I am worried about what I'm hearing that people seem to be on nonstop full days of calls. And so that, um, you know, COVID has interestingly taken care of travel for us, something that needed to happen in our sector, you know, that kind of wake up call to say, we don't need to be traveling everywhere all the time. You know, we need to rebalance that. So hopefully COVID is teaching us, oh yeah, there are other ways of connecting and, and having you know virtual conferences and meetings and all of that but what 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 it isn't doing for us is putting some more balance in our lives yes, right the balance is yeah and the people who have kids at home who are also yeah. parent and being teachers and yeah. oh my gosh I'm luckily you know my son is is 21 he's in university mm -hmm. but I really am like I hear some of my colleagues who are dealing with that on top of everything wow so yeah, there's a lot happening. And it's, it's a very interesting time for us to be thinking about these things of what was already a very high stress working environment, how that's been magnified in so many ways with COVID. It's interesting at the uh, ALNAP event last week on uh, managing or navigating uncertainty, there was a session looking at uh, resourcing organizations who are dealing with the uncertainty of COVID. And um, John Kitwe from Oxfam in Kenya was saying that they've decided to be more flexible. So people who are in caretaking roles, usually um, in that context, the women, they can take care of the children during certain parts of the day, and then they can work at night. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I was wondering, on one hand, there's the flexibility, which is which a lot of parents want. And then the other hand, at the end of the day, there's only so much a human being can do mm. um, before they start to collapse. And I'm curious when I see people meeting eight hours a day on Zoom and then having to actually 
do the other parts of their work. Yeah. What will it take to set the boundaries that we need to make sure that we have the time for replenishment and recuperation. I've seen some organizations, they say no meeting Fridays or no meeting afternoons or even no weeks, uh, a whole week without meetings. Uh, but <laughs> that would be very difficult. But I'm curious if you've heard of anyone who's been able to try to set boundaries or roll back some of this uh, intensity. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the no meeting Fridays idea is brilliant, I, but I can already see, you know, the first time it gets broken and then like, you know, the, yeah, the little crack in, in the wall and then it'll, it'll uh, crumble. So that, that, um, that worries me. I think one thing that I, I wanted to mention earlier is, you know, when, when you're asking that question of what's happening with this sector, like what, what's, what's behind this and what do we do about it? This combination of activism and bureaucracy, mm-hmm is such a toxic combination because at the end of the day, I think that's part, the way I understand this, you know, limitless uh, devotion that many in our sector, that most in our sector have for our work is because we were activists in our, you know, in our hearts. and, And that's what attracts us to this line of work that we, you know, believe in these issues. We're infuriated, we're concerned, we're mobilized. And part of our, activism is through our work. It's what we choose to do in the field that we choose to be in. So activists don't have nine to five, right? They, <laughs> activists are, are activists. So that's part of our quote unquote problem that we're activists. But to add to that, we're working in the framework of organizations that have all the you know things that organizations have, which is processes, bureaucracy, you know, mm-hmm. um, reporting and sign-offs, and you know, all these procedures that make organizations organizations. And so you combine the two, and that's just like double, you know, whammy. It's like oh my gosh, okay, so you're both pushing yourself to the limit because of the activist in you, and then you have to comply and conform with all these additional things that if you were an activist out on the street, you wouldn't have to deal with, but you also have to deal with that. And so, you know, you're bound to be doing double duty at least. Um, and so how to, how to find the balance is, is really, really tricky because people, you can do. So one of the things that I've noticed, um, and I'm sure others are seeing the same thing, people are not easily taking their holiday now because of COVID. So, you know, it's understandable. People wanted to travel. They wanted to go visit their family. They wanted to go to the seaside, wanted to rent a cottage, wanted to whatever people do when they take vacation. Mm-hmm. And you can't do any of that now. So then people don't take vacation because they can't really take vacation. Their vacation would be staying at home, probably taking care of the kids or whatever. Right? <laughs> Definitely so not a vacation. Like, yeah, now that's not a vacation. So they're not taking it. Mm-hmm. And so they keep working and they keep working. And all of a sudden you have this, you know, accumulated vacation piling up. So one of the things we decided to do, which um, I've been in other organizations where this is done anyway, but mm-hmm. it wasn't the case in Action Aid, is we're closing the office down mm-hmm. between, you know, the Christmas and the New Year mm-hmm. holiday and really encouraging people to take more personal holiday before or after to make it longer, right? So, but kicking it off by saying, nobody will work between these two dates. So it's, you know, four or five days that people are going to have to really just work. And what I, my, in my experience, 
what really works, and definitely for people in senior positions, but I think it's true for most people in the organization, is that when everybody's off at the same time, then you really disconnect. Because mm-hmm. there aren't emails going into your email box at you know, 50 a minute because everybody else is working and you're the only one on holiday. Everybody's mm-hmm. gone. And the system just shuts down, right? So if you don't look at your phone for that whole week, you can be guaranteed that you might have five emails waiting when you come back, but you won't have 300, right? Because everybody has disconnected. Mm -hmm. And so that is something that I really encourage more of um, people coordinating their holidays. Um, Of course, there's some organizations and for some functions that you can't afford to shut down the organization you need to have some people in mind but to try to work around that so that when people take holidays they can afford to disconnect because there is a real and this I remember ages ago I haven't heard this term anymore but um, in 2011 when I took over uh, as as presidency of the Canadian Council for International Corporation they were it was August and they were telling me about their summer projects that they had just finished and I loved that concept it was the idea that in summer things slow down and so you can take on these interesting projects right you know these summer projects I've never heard that again like there are no summer projects because we never slow down (laughs) 12 months a year you know except for maybe at the end of December there's a bit of a slowdown but the rest of the year it's 150 all the time right and so that that idea that there were natural periods in the year where things would kind of slow down and you could do something that you were wanting to do but didn't have the time to do and Ah, my summer project, you know, I'm going to whatever, start a new database for this or, you know, work stuff, but that required some focus, concentration and and that other things have slowed down so that you can shift your focus to that project. That doesn't exist. I've never heard it again. I think I heard it for two summers, 2011, 2012, end of story, never, never came back because we're always super busy, right? So that incapacity to have the ups and downs, Mm -hmm. When there's a crisis, there's a crisis. COVID is a crisis. Red alert, yes. But when does that end? And then when do we go down? You know, yeah. like, and it, we don't. Because we don't. It, there's always something. There's always something, you know, there's always super important, urgent things to do. Yeah, you're right. I remember, uh, I, I, I think in 2008 with Georgia, I think I, that's when the summer started disappearing. There's always some crisis happening in the summer. And, and even in the December time, there is usually an earthquake or there's something. Absolutely. <laughs> it's a- Absolutely. And it's humanitarian response. It's advocacy moments, right? That there's moments where we have to be there. We have to, like you said, you know, for the humanitarian, uh, uh, World Humanitarian Summit, you know, the signatures, the, this, the agendas, the influence. I mean, there's always deadlines and stuff. And, you know, there is just no lull. Mm-hmm. And so how do we, yeah, as, uh, yeah, how do we, how do we support, how do we model, how do we mm-hmm. uh, lead more uh, caring environments? How mm-hmm. do we help people find that, you know, elusive work-life balance? I don't even know what that looks like anymore. <laughs> it's really tough. It's, it's really challenging. Mm. But the interesting thing in our sector is we have people who are going from organization to organization. So there is almost an onus on the sector as a whole to consider well-being and culture because people fertilize one another in each organization as they go. And it could be seen as a collective challenge that we have in the sector 
that we're constantly under pressure to deliver in very difficult circumstance. And that affects people who really want to do the right thing and want to do well, but sometimes they can't do their best work if they don't have um, the tools and resources for self-care and for um, yeah. collective care. Yeah. So I'm yeah. curious if, if we wanted to do a thought experiment, if people in the sector could come together in uh, there's various alliances and networks um, if they wanted to come together and look at these challenges and say, where, where can we work together to support each other? Because we're all in the same ship, so to speak, even though each organization have different resources available at the end of the day, we're, we're people trying to serve people and we're human and we need to recognize our limits. I'm, I'm curious what, what could be some activities or some thinking or mindsets or projects or something to help tackle this problem as mm. a sector? Um, so a couple of ideas on that. Um, so the modeling piece is super important, right? And, and I think as leaders, as your, your podcast series uh, wants to take the conversation there, like what is the role of leaders in all of this? Mm -hmm. There is a huge role, but of modeling for mm -hmm. sure. And, and I feel that pressure I've been feeling it for a long time of you know I need to walk the talk I can't mm -hmm. tell people take holidays if I'm not taking my holidays I can't tell people don't work in weekends if I'm working on weekends like you know and, and even though the role of um, you know a CEO president CEO secretary general I think is a 24 7 you know responsibility um, if you're not sending very clear signals to the rest of your staff that you don't expect them to be working after hours or on weekends. And that if you send an email by mistake on Saturday, it's okay that you're doing it, but don't, you know, you're not supposed to answer that until Monday, et cetera, et cetera. It, it's hard. People, you know, we, we need to do that, but it's still, even saying that clearly people still, I think there's this pressure that, that, you know, people feel they have to respond. So I remember once seeing something that impressed me so much. I think it was in Germany that they had banned uh, senior staff or bosses, you know, managers, I guess, uh, contacting their staff on weekends. It was like banned. There was some regulation, some law or something. And I thought, wow, exactly. That's so good. I mean, that's a bit extreme, but if that's what it takes, you know, the problem now, though, is time zones, right? And, mm -hmm. and most of us are working in global settings with colleagues, yeah. you know, in different parts of the world. So how do you, well, weekends, maybe, I mean, barring that some people, it's Friday, Saturday, others, it's Saturday, Sunday. But, you know, can we all agree that, you know, there's one day where really nobody is supposed to be working and therefore do not send emails, do not expect response unless, you know, the world blows up. But, you know, is that something that... Um, kind of small but concrete things, mm -hmm. you know, what you were saying of no meetings on Fridays. Mm -hmm. I have colleagues because of this, this uh, issue with people taking holidays. I have several colleagues who've decided to take every Friday, um, you know, as, and, and I know they're working, but at least because they're officially on holiday, they're not joining any meetings. They're not on any calls. So at least it's giving them you know, a much more calm, they're probably I imagine them, you know, on their couch with a cup of tea, maybe reading something, but you know, they're not in that high stress, kind of normal work today. Um, so that's great. Um, so what other concrete things, and again, the more shared they are, you know, like this, you know, closing down the office for certain days, or, you know, everybody going on holiday, 
the more there'll work, I think, because everybody will be part of that. And so mm -hmm. the, the pressure of, of, you know, like the peer pressure will be, will be off. But another important thing that I think has changed as we've professionalized in this sector mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, kind of straddle that activist towards um, more bureaucratic organization, you know, we've gone more in that direction is the, the micromanagement, I think is what it is. And, and the lack of delegation, and I, I share a story with with uh, with people, st students sometimes when I'm talking to them or, or colleagues of, you know, this vivid image I have. The first time I went to work overseas, I went to Guatemala and I was um, quickly, not my first year, but in my second year, I was put in charge of a massive re, um, uh, repatriation project with um, refugees that had been in, in Mexico and were coming back to Guatemala as part of the, you know, starting the peace process, et cetera. So massive undertaking very new we were helping these people resettle into their old communities this UNHCR hadn't been involved in that before so breaking a lot of ground trying new things um, anyway fascinating experience I was professionally quite young at the time and there was no email so there I was in Guatemala my boss was in Montreal my immediate supervisor and we would meet twice a year wow. we would come to the field once a year and I did this job for about four years. He would come to the field once a year and he'd come for about a week and we'd do a field trip, visit communities, you know, ask me all kinds of questions, we'd do some office time, meet the team. That was part of his oversight. And then I would go to Montreal once a year and we would sit in his office and we would look at, you know, financial papers, is everything in order? He would have questions, renewing my contract, whatever it was. And we'd spend a full day together. And that was it. I didn't email my boss 10 times a day or 20 times a day. I didn't have to get sign off for everything I wrote for my emails, my reports. My relationship was directly with the donor. I didn't have, you know, I was given responsibility. And this was my first big job. It was a big job. It was a big budget yeah. operation, lots of staff. But I was, I was trusted, or I, I felt trusted. that I was trusted. And I was given this opportunity to learn. I learned so much because I was thrown in the deep end in a way you know, and they thought this girl can do it. Let's give her this thing. And away I went, right? It, and I learned so much, but I didn't have the relationship that I see we have now with our supervisors where we consult everything and we can send like 20, 30, 40 emails. Away. Holy moly. Even when you're in the same office, let alone, uh, you know, in a different country. And so this technology, which has such fabulous, you know, sides to it, it's a bit of a curse in a way, because it, it, it has made delegation, I think, and, and trusting and empowering staff and giving them room and responsibility. And sure, you know, people will make mistakes, then you deal with it. That's when the supervisor steps in, but you know, giving people, and I'm guilty. I'm not, you know, I don't want to be pre sound like I'm preaching here. I'm, 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 you know, reading people's emails and editing their notes and, you know, doing, and, but I couldn't do that if this technology didn't exist, mm -hmm. right? I would have yeah. to delegate more. I would have to trust people more. I would have to give mm -hmm. them more space and autonomy and responsibility. And how much stress does that add to our jobs that we have this constant checking in with our supervisors, yeah. getting things signed off, you know, 10 colleagues editing one paper that's going to go to the board <laughs> instead of just, you know, maybe two people max, you know, this collect, you know, every, Google Docs, everybody yeah. going, you know, like, fascinating in a way but also it just adds so many layers of complexity to the work we do that it adds stress because we're we're still doing the other stuff 
you know, the real work out there, you know, the managing the refugee uh, repatriation process, that's still happening. Mm-hmm. It's more complex. We have more humanitarian crises, more wars, more climate uh, induced um, emergencies. So the work is only growing and yet we're adding these layers yes. of internal mm-hmm. stuff, which, you know, part of it being this excessive communication, mm-hmm. excessive consultation, excessive sign-off. So I wonder about, is, is that not an area where we need to and can make some radical moves and just say, you know, let's go back to the days when we entrusted people with mandates and we sent them off to the field, quote unquote, and away they went and they did their stuff, right? And, and how I'm, we- I'm just thinking of your time with the repatriation project. It must have been so nice not to have to spend all that time at your computer spend time with the people that were involved in this massive operation yeah and i was in the field like i would walk to to some of the villages where people were coming back to and i remember having to drive you know for hours on end and then walking you know hours on end to get to these places no electricity no phone no cell phones none of that right and exactly i was connecting with them people and I was you know the manager of this big program and that didn't mean I was stuck in my office managing quote-unquote stuff through my laptop I was actually out there Mm -hmm. it was great it was so yeah a really fabulous learning opportunity to have to be given that responsibility right and to be Mm -hmm. given kind of like okay here it is you know run with it go with it and that was also true about the donor so I worked for an NGO that had been Mm-hmm. awarded this program to run this program by UNHCR. And so we had UNHCR staff on the ground mm-hmm. who were equally um, trusting. And, and, you know, and I had much more contact with them because they were in, you know, in the same, in the same country. And we had a lot of exchange and collaboration and checking in and thinking through things because it was a new initiative. So we, it was a lot of inventing and, you know, first mm-hmm. times going on, but, um, but it was, you know, it was collaborative. It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't um, oversight or, mm-hmm that kind of, uh, yeah, management or micromanagement. Yeah, the micromanagement. Well, I think that is a wonderful place to end on because at the end of the day, it's about connecting to people. And so many of the people that have been interviewed for this initiative, when you ask, why did you get in this the first place? It's about that connection to the people and the purpose. And that is so important when we think about culture and when we think about well-being, that we maintain that connection. Our activism isn't totally hampered by the bureaucracy. I love how you juxtapose those two things because we've seen that it's a big issue. So I would like to thank you so much, Julia, for connecting with us today and telling us your story. It's very inspiring to see how the 10 principles of feminist leadership are being discussed on a daily basis in your organization and also to see how you've managed during these difficult times of this new leadership position. Is there any anything final you'd like to say before we close? I guess, uh, thank you so much. It's been great talking to you. And, and just on that note, you know, when, when we were saying, how is this different? And in particular for me, you know, having come into this job while COVID was, was happening and, and being, you know, um, uh, in lockdown most of the time, um, I'm now starting to feel like, okay, I am not getting that, burst of energy that we all get in this kind of work when we have those opportunities to go out and see and be and meet the people and you know 
and you need that, right? And and as we were just saying, the balance has probably gone wacky in, in the last uh, couple of decades where we're doing too much of the management stuff and not enough of the getting out there and, and connecting with people bit. But we're still able, we were still able to do that by traveling and, and going out. I've just had, you know, I'm completing my 10th month on a job mm -hmm. yeah. of zero travel. So I'm not getting that that boost of energy that one gets every time you go out and are reminded, oh, that's why we do this, right? That's why this is all worth it because, oh my gosh, isn't this amazing? So I'm not getting any of that, you know, in, in a real sense. I, you know, I, I was just on a, on a learning um, uh, three-day event that my colleagues are organizing and I heard some of the stories of the people, you know, from, and that's already great to hear. Mm -hmm. But I am starting to realize, okay, I'm just dealing with the internal stuff because that's what I have access to mm -hmm. you know, when you're stuck and, and you can't travel it. And so I have, my, I think my next challenge, and I'm sure I'm not alone in this, is how do we rebalance that now that we can travel? How do you make sure that you're getting that, um, you know, that you're getting recharged? I think that's the word I'm looking for, mm -hmm. recharged in other ways uh, that are not the traditional ways, which were take a field trip and you come back going, ah, yes, you know, <laughs> so great what I saw. And so all this bureaucracy and all this, it's worth it because my gosh, we're having such great, you know, impact on the ground. Um, so how do we do that? How do we get that, that charge without being able to travel? I, I don't have the answer for that, but I think that's, that's the, and it goes back to, you know, that self-care, that balance, that uh, making sure we're, we're keeping the motivation and, and, yeah. and the, the work in a good package, balanced package. Right. And the first step is awareness that you noticed. <laughs> yeah. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Julia Sanchez, Secretary General of ActionAid International. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you for your time and best of luck to you and your whole organization as you make it through the next months of this very strange time in history. <laughs> yes, thank you so much, Melissa. It was a pleasure. You've been listening to Melissa Pitotti in conversation with Julia Sanchez, Action Aid International Secretary General. This is Embodying Change, a podcast about cultivating care and compassion in aid and development. The show is edited by Ziada Abayid. A big thanks to the initiative supporters, the CHS Alliance members, the Government of Luxembourg, the UK's Foreign, Commonwealth and Development Office, and the Netherlands. If you enjoyed the show, you can help us in three ways. First, you can share the show with your people. Second, you can leave us a review to help others find us. And third, you can make suggestions for a future episode by emailing us at compassionateorg at chsalliance.org. We're open to your feedback and we're on the lookout for examples of good practice in the sector. We'll be back soon with another episode exploring care and compassion in aid and development. Till then, take care and be compassionate with yourself.